0: Welcome to Disposable Design, a podcast about education and instructional design. We have a few strong opinions, a lot of research, and the occasional geek reference that nobody but nerds will get. My co-host and I wanted to start a podcast despite the fact that neither of us have the ability to stay on topic because we wanted to offer solutions to problems plaguing education today. So for our first podcast, we wanted to talk about the state of our industry. With the 2020 pandemic, online education has led to the forefront of education. We'll discuss the good, the bad, and the absolutely awful things we witnessed as both IDs and parents, and talk about some misconceptions people had and continue to have about instructional design. Not necessarily in order. (laughs) I could Photoshop you. (laughs) Me. My husband Thank told you. me if you didn't show up today, I have a I have a puppet, and we were gonna do a Thomas puppet. Just saying, you're kind of flaky. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh yeah, it's, it's not it's not lost on me. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, starting back where we were. Um,
1: yeah, why? Get my like people Drive Um, and like not, I guess to focus people's judgment and anger on the right people since I think a lot of parents went through the situation and, and, and like I did, for instance, my son's school had a really good setup for the first two weeks when everybody went remote in the fall, but after that, everyone was kind of just on their own. And so you can see when things are being guided by upper management and, and you know, the state and whatnot to a certain extent. And then you can tell where that guidance really ends. And then it's up to the individuals to do their best with the content and the resources that are available to them.
0: And virtually no training.
1: And virtually no training. Yeah, you can tell when the guidance stops. Mm -hmm. And when the the regulations, I guess, quote, unquote, stop.
0: Speaking of bad job and no training, um, personal antidote. One of the um, one of my daughter's teachers, he was, he's a history teacher. You can tell he's a coach. You can tell he wasn't very comfortable with the with the whole online thing. And I knew they were in trouble the minute that uh, he was giving the lecture. And then he told the students to wait for about eight minutes, like go go off and do their do their thing for about eight minutes, and then we would come back and discuss and he literally recorded silence for 8 minutes in his lecture and that was like my mind is blown these people need help like they there's they need help like this is, yeah, this sometimes is totally unfair
1: for the student learning objectives that didn't
0: <laughs> right oh my gosh it was so bad it was so bad and i wanted to i wanted to call him and just like can i help you like I want to help you. Yeah, that's a
1: good question. Do, do you do you do that? I had that same feeling in the, in the fall too. Like,
0: just no.
1: let me help you guys. Just let me.
0: No, I don't. I don't force any of that on the teachers. I always send emails and say, um, you know, if you need help, this is what I do. I'd be happy to help you, but they have to come to me. I'm not going to force it on them because they've already got so much. Right? I mean, so many unfunded mandates that they have to deal with on top of a pandemic, on top of um, all the regular things that come along with being a K-12 teacher, you know, so, no.
1: And I had a weird situation even where one of my son's teachers applied for an open job that I was on the hiring committee for.
0: Oh, awkward.
1: <laughs> so I knew she wasn't going to ask me for my help. Yeah. She already thought she could become an instructional designer, which wasn't necessarily wrong, I don't, I don't know how it went. I recused myself from that uh, <laughs> interview.
0: Speaking of becoming an instructional designer, so starting from like the top down, what people think it's going to be versus what is it really? And I have to say that I was very disappointed when I got into instructional design and then I actually got into the job and found out it was nothing like what it was pitched to me in fact no no you know i i'm a glorified blackboard administrator i don't get to tell teachers how to teach in any way whatsoever it's how do i how do i put this on blackboard so but i think that differs i think that differs from (laughs) well yeah i think that differs though depending on what kind of instructional designer job you get you know what i'm saying
1: Right. Yeah. And, and actually that, that um, one of the upcoming discussions I want to have with you is about this framework for ID, the, the. The fact that we don't actually have a university, a universal description of what an instructional designer is that you almost have to backtrace it to what the university is or what the organization is or the, the client per se to find out, quote unquote, what an instructional designer there would even be.
0: God, I think that starts from academia, from the top down, because in researching it, they can't even decide on a universal term for instructional design. I mean, that's kind of become the catch all since the, um, since the pandemic. But honest to God, everybody just, you know, oh, it's if it's online, it's instructional design. No, it's not. It's something totally different, right?
1: Right, and then the elements of project management, and design thinking, and cat wrangling, and the, the different skill sets that are drawn on to, to, to make an instructional design. And, and it, it matters, I guess, at what part in the content development process they're, they're inserted in, right? Are they at the curriculum development stage? Are they at the production stage? Are they at the, you know, the handoff stage where faculty members developed their stuff ahead of time and now they're done? hand it over to somebody to turn it into a course. Um,
0: but do they really? University? Do they really <laughs> hand it over? They don't really hand Let's be real. They don't ever hand over their material.
1: That's how they used to do it at one of our um, sister institutions. They would come in with a box and each <laughs> professor would drop off their box of materials. And it's like, this is my online class. Make this a class.
0: I don't see. This is the problem with you. I don't know if you're like. Full of shit right now? Are you serious?
1: <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, oh so my when, God. Um, at our institution, we've, we've looped in some other partner institutions that are in our system to be part of our Blackboard instance so that they can, they can share in the resources and share in our, our support staff. And when we were trying to figure out what an instructional designer meant to one of these institutions, we had an interview with the outgoing instructional designer, myself and and one of the other instructional designers. And we met with her for about an hour and just talked about what it meant to be an instructional designer at her university. And this was probably four years ago, because she left that job and that job was vacant for a year while we partnered up with her. So they didn't have any instructional designer on staff for a year after they had literally been just dropping off boxes to this ID for her to build their entire course uh, from a box of, of materials.
0: That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. So that's another one now of those. We, do, <laughs> we do that work. Well, that's another one We're of those good. ideal versus reality things, right? You think that that your staff is going to come to you with the technology skills to give you what you need. To put the class together, and I mean, I've said this myself, I've serviced English people and they literally got their PhDs in 1980s, so they don't touch computers unless they have to, so it's been a real struggle just to get them- Unless they
1: just happen to want to use a computer outside of that.
0: Yeah, which is not very many of them. At least in higher ed. And this is why I think that um, K through 12, and and I will fight people who say otherwise, I think K through 12 did a better pivot to online education than higher ed did. At least higher ed that didn't have the support. I would say that our university is probably um, different because we have such a robust support staff, but in other people that I've spoken to in higher education, um, it's been a train wreck. I mean, it is. And, and so yeah. the K through 12 people yeah. that I know are doing so much better because they're so used to having to be flexible.
1: Yeah. In fact, in the in the higher ed, the people that jumped in and did a great job first were the people that don't care what their faculty have to say. It was the, <laughs> the, 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 the large scale educational businesses that just treat this as the, the faculty members are not there as some sort of, you know, A union-backed group of individuals. uh, uh, I mean, they are their individuals instead. So um, they were able to pivot and say, "Here's all of our online classes. We're an online university now." And they attach themselves to other existing universities to get their name recognition, and they soared in initial um, enrollments online. Their classes were probably all over the place as far as quality.
0: Oh, can we please talk about that? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm out of time. <laughs> I will talk about that from a, um, definitely from a, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? for well, not so much student. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I'm not the only one who's continuing my education in my household. My husband just got his bachelor's degree and he's a 50 year old man. So, um, oh, he's done, he finished. Yeah, he just graduated. Oh, so cool. proud! So proud, yay! Um, he says now he can go get a real job, <laughs> which, yeah, it didn't matter. Um, anyway, you know, in looking at watching over his shoulder, seeing some of the courses that he was taking, it, it was legitimately painful for me as an ID because I know that his professors had the resources available. I mean, they were literally my people and I know what kind of people they are. They're they reaching out. They're trying to help these professors. And there yeah. are some that and so just... You,
1: for you, the benefit of the doubt has been stripped away because you, you know way too much about what resources were available for them.
0: Exactly. And, and the fact that, I mean, people have to start taking instructional design seriously because these classes are a commodity for the universities, Well, that goes back to even before the pandemic, like how, how prepared are these, are these people, are these instructors um, to put anything online? I mean, we talked about uh, taught while under rapid development versus um, just in time. I I try to keep my professors, I, I look, I know front loading a course is painful. It's a lot of work. But if you could stay two weeks ahead of the course, you could still do some very functional planning versus it's the night before, and I've, I've gotta get something up because the week opens tomorrow.
1: Right, so, right. Provided you don't have a student with, you know,
0: captioning needs or you've
1: got some sort of other... And that's the point. Process or, yeah.
0: Exactly, Fair that good. that is the point.
1: Yourself on time.
0: Plan your classes and do it earlier. Huh, there we go. Yeah. Talk about uh, objectives, maybe. I don't know.
1: Well, and, and one of the blog posts I've, I've um, been working on is about the evolution of the wheel and lessons we can learn from that about instructional design. And I, I, it, it, I, I may have muddled the analogy because I'm using it in like two different ways. But the the, the wheel as the evolution of instructional design and delivery of online classes, uh, quote-unquote online, with the first one being, you know, the stone wheel. We're talking about correspondence courses that were mailed out to people, right? Once it's out there in the world, you're, you're not pulling over and fixing your, your flat tire. You, you've got a big hunk of stone, and it's going to be fine as long as what you are driving on doesn't change, right? As soon as the technologies associated with, with what was possible changed, then obviously the delivery methods began to change and evolve, even though people continued to use correspondence courses up until, I mean, they're still doing it. But um, the, the the shifts became possible because of these other things like radio and TV. And then when I started thinking about the spokes of a wheel, I started thinking about the each spoke being a contact point between the the learner and the material and the technology, right? So you've got 16 spokes, you've got 16 weeks of class, you've got to make sure that each each semester, each student, and each week is making the same kind of contact with the material, right? So you want things that are, quote-unquote, mass-produced, right? So then you begin to look at publisher content, you bring in things that are made by other experts that you can rely back on, trying to make all of your own content yourself, like this, you know, stone wheel that you carved um, back in the cave days of of correspondence. Well, then you you start trying to improve the delivery method. Well, now you've got high speed internet, you've got these massively improved roads, you can't get out there with your horse and buggy and your 16-spoke wooden wheel. You need to get a mass produced tire. You need to get something that can withstand the pressures of the environment that's expected to survive in and to keep people going at the, the speed that they are supposed to be going.
0: Yeah, but that takes you into a whole new set of skills as an instructor that I think a lot of people weren't prepared to do, like this. You have to have a webcam. You have to know how to speak on camera. You have to know how to use technology. I mean, it's it's yep. not and going same
1: deal. Yep. same deal. with the wheel analogy. You know, once you get to that point where it's highly mass produced, and you can't pull the spokes out of a, a wheel that you've already paid you know a company to make a million of them. Now you've got to go back to the design phase. You've got to go back to the instructional designer. You've got them to redo lessons. You've got to pull the material down. You've got to, right, the more intricate you get and the more responsive you try to be to to current trends in technology, the less likely you are to be able to adapt on the fly and to do things like you were saying as far as make the lectures the night before. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And then when you switch things, right, you try to switch manufacturers, try to switch publishers, well, now you've got to read all the chapters again. You can't just... Go off of the memory that you had from the fact that you've taught the same book for years in a row. Now you've got to make multiple different uh, changes all at once.
0: So technically, that's a good practice anyway. You should be reviewing your material every year. You shouldn't be putting the same stuff out there just because it worked last year. I'm not saying that you can't carry across a lot of it, but you need to review your material. I mean, maybe if you're doing 18th century British literature, that's not going to change, right? But Maybe. You could always take
1: more white people out of it. <laughs> Agreed. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's things you can do to improve the curriculum of ancient uh, ancient I said, You know what I mean?
0: There's yeah, but no, that's nightmare. true. That's it's so true because things are constantly and in flux. Show is canceled. Yeah,
1: canceled.
0: I know. We're gone. We're done. No, I think. Never mind. No, I agree.
1: you were right. This is going to be hard to keep me on topic.
0: It's okay. We're gonna figure it out. <laughs> So back to taught while under rapid development, which is pretty much the pandemic response, but that's not the way it should be.
1: It was deceptively marketed like everything is um, by saying that, you know, we're just going to do like the online people do, right? We're going to move our stuff and everything's going to be fine. And they weren't able to do like the online people do because they don't know what the online people do and the online students don't do it the same way as the face-to-face students. It also involved the populations of students and faculty that had no desire to be online or they would have already been online.
0: Yeah, I think that really mattered. Um, and But moving forward, I think this, this experience really gave people a glimpse into what education could be and it doesn't all have to be in the classroom so I know a lot of ISDs in Texas are moving forward with online school departments which I think is great it's not for everyone I understand that and I'm not advocating for that but my point in even bringing this up today is that it's not the train wreck that it's being painted out to be I I think
1: yeah, Had the they actually followed uh, principles? Marketing equation. Yeah, when it's it marketing deceptive, then the feedback is skewed uh, heavily.
0: So I don't want to see—I don't want to see the industry, um, especially as an instructional designer, moving forward. I don't want to see the industry with this stigma on it that online education is not <coughs> effective. It's very effective when done properly.
1: And, and the pendulum swinging, I don't want to swing back too far and, and vilify the people that are doing just-in-time design in their courses online well, right? If there's just a few pieces that they replace each week or, or each you know, semester to keep things fresh while the rest of the content is stable or based on, on publisher content or built up because of some department need. Um, yeah, I think we have a tendency as people to just say, well, that's wrong and obviously shouldn't be doing it at all. When there is there's viable reasons to do uh, just-in-time development.
0: I think one of the the issues that we come across as an ID um, when we're developing ahead of time is that, especially in higher education, there there doesn't seem to be as much of a focus on pedagogy as there is. And I guess in in higher ed it would be andragogy because it's they're not kids, right? But still, there's not a focus on the learning process as much as there is on K through 12. And I don't think that higher education people, I I hate to say it like this, but I don't think they should be allowed to design their online courses if they don't have that training. And (laughs) pretentious, I know, um, God forbid, I tell a PhD he doesn't know what he's doing, but when it comes to instruction, Like, I'm not telling you how to how to do your content, you know, all about, you know, molecular biology, but I know teaching. So you wouldn't want me to teach molecular biology. So why don't you come to the experts?
1: They're fine with that. They just don't know they are. Because (laughs) they're not thinking about it in the right terms, right? Because like, they're fine with somebody setting up the accrediting standards for their programs. Right? They're fine with that being determined outside of their control. They're fine with people telling them, you know, email is an effective tool versus you know writing it in the sky or whatever they wanted to do initially. But when you get into some of this stuff where they're like, I learned it by looking at a chalkboard. Why can't they learn it by looking at a chalkboard like I learned it? Mm-hmm. Because people want to punish the the next generation in the same way that they were punished maybe that's a little harsh but
0: no no so there's a there's an author i can't remember his name i know his first name was jamie um something we had to do a book study on him but he's the blueberry guy um in, in any k through 12 teacher that is listening to this will be like i know that guy um but at the end of the day his big thing was and he called it nostalgia. Um, it's a it's a combination oh, of nostalgia so. amnesia and amnesia songs. because this is the way I learned. I'm like, okay, great, but we have brought up an entire generation who literally have a phone in their face from birth. And we're teaching them with these short attention spans, and we're teaching them with all reminds this multimedia. Me, I Do what?
1: Said so it reminds me. I got to get my eighteen month old phone. <laughs>
0: we teach them from early on that this is how you know you interact and then we say okay now sit still for 90 minutes and look at this board while I talk and they don't understand why there's a disconnect between them and the students
1: you know my favorite example from my own uh, life in journalism school was I finally had a class in the journalism college that was in the um, computer room and I know this is probably most people listening to this that are not 40. You're like, what do you mean? <laughs> or whatever, right? We we finally had a class in the computer room. It, you had to fight to get your class scheduled in that room, in that building. Right? There were three different departments fighting for that room. And so I get in there. It's my third semester, I think, as a journalism student. And the first, the first day, the teacher says, okay, everybody turn your monitors off and turn your chairs around and face into the room because we're not going to be using these computers this semester.
0: Oh my god. That hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And we did. Wow.
1: We used them to do our homework. But after you know class was over, because then it turned back into a lab with lab hours. So we were then allowed to turn our monitors back on and do our homework.
0: That's and insane. If she didn't
1: understand how to how to utilize a class that was in a lab. So for her it was, rightly so, but going to be a distraction. Because it, it, why she asked to be in the computer lab, I never found out. Um, she had to fight for it. I guess she fought for it for so long she didn't remember why she was fighting to be in there. I don't know. Um, that was that was kind of a perfect example to me of, of just my beautiful hopes and dreams <laughs> being dashed.
0: So that brings me to something that I say all the time um, that I think from the instructor standpoint that they have to consider, are you here to teach or are you here to help your students learn? And that's across the board. I've seen that from K through 12 all the way through higher ed um, through the doctorate program. There are some people who just want to talk about what they love and they don't care if the student gets it. And then there are yeah. those teachers who at all costs, sometimes to the detriment of their own health, who go swing to the other side of the pendulum and you know they're like going to make sure those kids leave with the knowledge that they know. And right. there's nothing wrong with either instructor. But there is yeah. there is a level of effectiveness on one side versus the other. And as an instructor, if you're not willing to at least bend a little bit, your instruction is meaningless, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or at least, you know, it's accessible to the people that that get it Mm -hmm. and the others are just lost. And if you're, you know, someone else in the university that cares about, like, retention rates, that professor may for some reason not care about retention rates. A lot of people only care about their specific... Part of the interaction, like you said, right? Like they're an inter- they are a lecturer, and they get up there and they're going to lecture for forty-five minutes, and it's the student's job to figure out what just happened, right? What, what does it mean? What's it connected to? Is it on the mm-hmm. test? I, I had a professor in psychology. I got an F in um, at another university, uh, my community college, where nothing that she lectured about in the entire semester was ever on the test.
0: That's
1: insane. What's the point of that? They were her experiences as a psychologist over a 20 year period, and they were about psychology, but she didn't feel like making any test questions about any of it. So, all we did for the tests was related directly to the chapter reading. So, the assessment portion of her class was 100% handled by publisher content, and the lecture portion of her class was 100% handled by her, and they were 100% disconnected.
0: Yeah, that tells me that she had no clear objectives. She had no clear... Uh, it, it, there's no, no scope and sequence there. It's basically two courses in one. Pick one.
1: <laughs> right, and without a clear understanding ahead of time, that nothing from the lectures was going to be tested over.
0: All it the wasn't more until I
1: started failing the exams that I realized I needed to be rereading the chapters and not taking notes in the lecture
0: by then. It was too late. What's the point of even having the instructor? Because you could have the book, right? I mean, do you do you have to pay $3,500 for a book?
1: No, thankfully it was community college. It was $50. <laughs> part an hour.
0: 250 there you
1: go. It was dirt cheap. But the F, the F was uh, worth everything. And that's, that's like, yeah, if you're going to develop your course without an IT, what are you relying on? Are you relying on published content? Are you relying on what you've learned? If you're relying on your own passion to make your students uh, prepared for the next things they have to deal with in life, you, you, you might not need an instructional designer to make your students succeed in your course materials the way that they're currently developed and designed. But you could always make it better.
0: So that was an, another experience that um, my husband had with the community college that he went to he had a logic professor who literally knew nothing about teaching online but you could tell in his presentations that he was trying to take what he knew in the classroom and he was doing his very best to adapt it to an online space and inadvertently he hit on every single best practice like just Just because out of sheer will, at one point I had, I had a conversation with him. I was like, I gotta, I told my husband, I've got to talk to this guy. Like, I need to talk to him. I need to find out what they're doing at that university that he is doing this so well. And when I talked to him, he's like, um, nothing. Like, I don't know anything about this. And I thought I was doing a really crappy job. And I'm really happy to hear that somebody thinks I'm doing a good job. So, I mean, I'm not saying that that some professors can't trip across it. They do. Right, they yeah, do.
1: You know. Just naturally um, step into the right direction. I mean, I can't think of anything more offensive than, than somebody that can just figure this out without us <laughs> needing to tell them.
0: But that being said, you know, honestly... Why work that hard when you have the resources available to you?
1: And I see honestly, though, the, the unfortunate thing is I see those people, that exact person make the mistake of then saying, I don't need an instructional designer to help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I figured all this stuff out. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like they've reached a plateau and they don't understand that there is still so much more that they can do and see and achieve. Um you know, based on, and not just using technology for technology's sake, but to, to actually implement some of the things that they didn't understand were possible. Um, even, even if they got so much right.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, a sales, lot of them that's my sales it right. pitch for our industry. <laughs> okay. So now that we're talking about the sales pitch for the industry, let's talk about ideal versus reality, because anybody who wants to get into this needs to know, um, I personally think you don't need a degree. You don't need a degree. Do you feel that we need a degree? I mean, you're, you hire instructional designers. What is it that you look for?
1: I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing.
0: Um, for the um, record, I don't think that he wanted to hire me. I think I only got hired because I knew somebody else there. I'm just going to put that out there.
1: <laughs> who did you know? What?
0: Are you kidding me? I can't say his name because then everybody, he'll get in trouble.
1: <laughs> no. And my own personal growth aside, because I've been wrong about people before. We have another instructional designer on our team that I was wrong about, but I didn't understand why other people thought that, that she should be an instructional designer and what her take on things was, was valued at. And that was my own growth that needed to happen. It wasn't like she needed to do anything different to prove herself to me. I just needed to grow in my understanding of what, All the different facets of our job can require because of how different the different faculty or different programs and colleges that we manage are, not to mention the partner institutions and how they are. Everything is different within anyone. Um, So, yeah, to not answer your question at all.
0: So, going back to it, though, because people want to know. I mean, I get this question from teachers all the time. You know, people are looking to get out of the classroom, and it's not it's not so just a matter our of situation
1: to me because we are, um, and, and I've had honestly, a, a, a like a soul searching about it too, because we have sought to hire only people recently with, uh, advanced degrees because of some, I don't know if it's a perception that we would have to then quote unquote, defend our choice with a human resources department that is focused upon what a university would want. Um, If you want to be a quote unquote, you know, higher up in academic instructional design, then you almost do need a degree because you need to be able to communicate at all of the different levels that it takes to communicate with faculty that are in education to understand the science of learning, faculty that are in sciences that don't understand the science of learning and don't care. Faculty that are anywhere in between, faculty that have picked up a bunch of stuff on their own through books and conferences, and still have to be able to be useful and help them.
0: Um, I don't know, Thomas. I disagree on this. I disagree. I don't think you need the degree. I think you need to have an understanding of what works. Well, and like I said, I'm
1: a about it too, and maybe I'm 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 wronging. Them.
0: I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying we are going to agree to disagree on a lot of things in this podcast.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to need to because I'm already in the middle. So...
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, you're And it's <laughs> just like
1: part of what... Well, no, no. Because part of what, what... Back back to the framework for ID, right? Our understanding of what we need as an ID doesn't match up necessarily with what other people are doing in our university. So bringing in somebody with a PhD or in a PhD program... And expecting them, because they're so advanced in that particular aspect of it, expecting them to be able to do the advanced things that, that we need people to do in a daily job isn't necessarily true. So maybe starting over with the idea that we need to train student workers up to hopefully offering jobs in so that they can become instructional designers.
0: I can, I can tell you from the corporate side that um, it's more of an understanding of the software they're not looking for the degree. They're looking for a certificate uh, and the ability to create instructional design, the ability to understand the design thinking models. Um, So it's very different. In fact, I I was kind of very frustrated when I was looking for an instructional design job that I couldn't get hired on at the university when so many corporations were willing to hire me immediately for twice the money. So why is it so, why is it so hard to get in at the university level versus walking off the street and working for um, a, a you know Fortune 500 company? People need to know why it's so hard to get into the university.
1: Hmm. I mean, I guess it's because there's fewer jobs and a a slower cycle as far as you know a a company can decide okay we're going to open marketing we're going to do this program program went well we're going to close marketing right we're going to shift budgets we're going to come up with a new product in two years right so it's two years between jobs and then they come back and they say okay we're going to open up marketing we're going to hire a new company we're going to hire and do this and do that so, they're constantly going through instructional designers. So, that the cycles that they go through is, is completely different than a, an than a academic support staff. It's almost like corporate instructional design academic instructional design shouldn't even be said in the same sentence without clarifying which one you're talking about.
0: I um, and everything that.
1: that I know is about academic instructional design. I don't know really anything about the corporate world. Um, so, there's the massive grain of salt that you have to take everything I say with because I only know stuff about academic ID.
0: Yeah, but I think that the learning principles across the board are, I mean, because I've been in all three, right? I've been in corporate, I've been in K through 12, and now I've been in higher ed. And I think that across the board, each industry is missing a vital piece. Like K through 12 doesn't give the teachers the autonomy, Um, higher ed, um, there seems to be a lack of understanding on the technology piece, and then in corporate they don't have as much of the learning science. So, in no matter where you land, there's there's a deficit. There's like a blind spot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's different there's different facets of it that are going to be valuable and and invaluable and uh, useless depending upon <laughs> who you're talking to. And then going through these uh, um, professional development things and, and LinkedIn learning has shown me a lot about the way the corporate people at least communicate. Maybe not necessarily think and, and whatnot, because I'm still getting just a piece of it. But at least the, the, the way they communicate shows me a little bit about the way they think about the things that are important to them. And, and some of these ideas are just hilarious to me from an academic right. SC, uh, uh, right. academic ID and SME Perspective like these ideas of a simultaneous rapid development and prototyping you know, of ideas, and like, no, we don't build three versions of somebody's history version, you know, one class to see which one they like. Like, no, we, we, we build whatever we can, but the, the week before it has to launch.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lack of project management um, that in in higher ed and I'm not saying that strictly from my point of view I mean speaking to many IDs who work in higher ed it is it's very much a fly by the seat of your pants this is how we're going to get this done Um, we're not really going to put a lot of thought into it needs analysis what the hell is that like we we don't even we don't even contemplate student need like what I mean yeah so and that's kind of I guess the um, I'm not
1: going to say it's a dirty secret of academic ID but it's 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 what you're served with when you get in the army, right? Like you don't get the, the meal that's in the um the the PR shot. You you get what's served in the mess hall. And that's what that's what it is with academic ID. And um I guess I'm just used to it.
0: <laughs> All right, you wanna move into hey, the pandemic um, response?
1: Hey. Yeah, yeah, and, and I chose History 1301 in particular for that example because those were all actually already developed, so none of those are being developed weekly, so don't call me and complain if you teach History you know, 1301
0: somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Nobody oh.
1: knows who we work for, right? This is all, you're going to, we're going to change our faces?
0: Mm, no, no. <laughs> I am going to be doing a lot of editing, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Alright, so, so anyway. shifting to pandemic response from a parent point of view. Did online education suck?
1: For for the first two weeks, it was great.
0: And then? Yeah. <laughs> are you scared but of are you scared of kickback from the district? Like
1: um. No, no he's he's already done with seventh grade. What can you do to him now? No, um, it was it was a varied response. Some of the some of the some of the teachers I keep wanting to call them faculty, some of the teachers had already set up excuse me, quite a bit of elaborate stuff inside of Canvas for their classes. And so they were able to rely on existing materials, which is what you know we would have recommended they do in that in that situation anyway. But the the breakdown being there was never any guidance to them ahead of time for what should have been in there. Anyway, so nothing was built in any sort of a structured environment. Some people were using the tools inside of Canvas to, 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 to deploy the content and use the system announcements and the, the, the mails. Some of the people had built a you know, an infographic-style Canvas course where everything is in one big page, and you just kind of scroll down through it for the whole semester. And then there were links that were images. There was links that were, you know, word, art, text. There was... Uh, boards that you had to click on to get into a class in one class, but the other classes were all based on the system. Some people had Zoom meetings that were optional. Some people had Zoom meetings that were required. You never knew the difference between a Zoom meeting that was a lecture and a Zoom meeting that was a follow-up. And then in the middle of all of that is I I had my son who didn't want to do the work. And after the first two weeks when it became obvious that the school wasn't doing the work, he stopped doing the work. And he started just getting on YouTube instead. And the culminating uh, moment for us was he had recorded a video of himself. Actually, let me start over. over the over the couple of, of months that we did this before he had to go back to school, we had hooked the laptop up to the TV in the living room so that we could see what he was working on at all times. Well, he waited for us to be distracted, and he separated the screens again so that he could record a video of himself taking a typing test and display that on the TV while he watched YouTube on the laptop. And That's I the room
0: freaking brilliant. A <laughs> times.
1: Yeah, I, I walked through the living room a couple times until I realized he was taking a typing test without actually typing on the keyboard. And even I put that together and decided that it was time for to go back to school.
0: <laughs> so you actually brought up two things in that. Um, uh, one of those being, you feel like the teachers fell off, you know? Up. Yeah,
1: yeah. Why? The guidance fell off, and they they fell off in their in their. They were no longer well. And here's the deal, though: because now they were being asked to teach multiple audiences. They were asked to be to to teach the students that had now come into class, and they were being asked to teach the students that were staying home for a parental choice to stay out and in.
0: Do you think there's so, an effective way? To even do that, because personally, I don't. I don't think it's a. I don't think you can effectively. I don't think you can effectively teach two two groups at once. I don't. I, I don't see it.
1: Um. No. No, you cannot. I, do I, I don't.
0: Know. I don't know why they try. I, I just. I understand no, you, why they tried.
1: It. If you ever tried to give a lecture to people in a live audience in front of you with a laptop next to you on the podium with a live audience inside of some sort of remote session and you've tried to keep everybody engaged and judge whether or not, you know, even if it's only 30 people, you've got 10 in front of you and 20 online, you're now asked to gauge whether all of them are engaged for the entire time, whether they're assessing the lesson and whether or not they're even there. So you've got to have the camera on with these and you've got to keep watching all of them. Um,
0: It's impossible.
1: No, teachers don't even have a super high success rate when all the kids are in person.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. I I thought it was incredibly unfair to ask um, ask instructors to do that. That's why all my
1: prevaricating and equivocating because I don't want people to just say, okay, here's another group of idiots blaming the teachers. Um,
0: no, I mean, as I, a teacher, I got it. I mean, I get it.
1: And as a parent, I did too. And as an instructional designer, it's like, I didn't want to put any extra you know, pressure on these people. Um, and so I was—I tried to do everything I could, but I was also extremely busy with my day job. So I couldn't actually do the parenting that I needed to do for an online student at home and a, not a hostile online environment, but a super reluctant online environment. And then he was hostile to the fact that he knew it was only like two hours worth of work a day. So instead of just doing it and then move on with his day, he just wanted to fight for every inch of the ground.
0: Do you think the lack happened. of consistency across the, um, the models mattered?
1: It might not have mattered per se to him, but... If, let's say he let's say he wanted to do the work right God forbid you've got a kid that likes to do school I was I think he would have I would have been he would have been fine he would have he would have been able to find what he wanted but since he wasn't super interested in doing it all um, I had to go and find out what he was actually missing what he was lying about what he was wrong about and what he missed and for me there was no easy way to quickly follow up on seven different classes built in seven different ways at seven different times. Um, some of which required to one of which wasn't even being taught by the person that he was actually supposed to be in. So he was in the wrong person's class for like three weeks. And I, I, I had no way to know until I called the school almost was like, look, I'm not getting what I need to for him for this. And I was like, he's not even supposed to be in that class. That lady's not teaching online anymore. She's back in the classroom. And I said, well, I would explain the the lack of uh, material from her.
0: As, as an ID and a creative person, I, I feel when I was given uh, a template that I was supposed to use, I was very resentful of that template because I was like, there's no room for creativity, but now being on the ID side, I see where the template really mattered from the student point of view, and that consistency is really important. I mean, there's still plenty of room to, to be creative throughout the course, but I see now the, the, the value of a standardized template across an institution.
1: Yeah, yeah, right, and at certain levels, like. I don't see any reason why you can't just make some of those decisions as an as a institution and, and say, you know, like, this is how we start the course and then make your, your, your personality show inside of that format in some way.
0: I think uh, where the institutions screw up is that they don't look for the instructor feedback before they make that, that template. You need to ask the teachers, you need to ask the instructors, the professors. You need to ask their opinion before you give them, because I will say that the original template that I was given in the K through 12 industry was garbage. I mean, there wasn't clear navigation. um, The the material was not nested in an efficient manner. It was just a garbage template. And if they would have asked teachers what would work, we already knew, but we weren't allowed to have that input.
1: And you know, and if it's a situation where you know, quote unquote, they just couldn't get the teachers together to agree on things, like I can understand that to happen. And then you just you 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 roll out with whatever you have, but then you you have to make it intentional to come back to them and ask how it went and to ask what to do next time, or you're just being authoritative with with no with no mechanism for outlet. And all you're doing is creating. Things.
0: And then you're going to get 27 different templates and parents who can't find their kids' schoolwork, and we're all pissed yeah. off.
1: Yeah. Or you're going to have a template that um, you have but is laxly enforced, which makes no template.
0: So one, okay. more, one more chunk to go. Hurricane Harvey. See, I don't know anything about this. I wasn't here when you did this. so.
1: Yeah, so this was interesting um, for us because... it. It wasn't the same as the painting. It was different. But we did have to do a lot of rapid development and repositioning. And we had to deal with the fact that entrenched policies and procedures at the university level are not um, easily adapted to emergency responses to things. So we had to do a lot of other people's work for them ahead of time and then show them it and say here, this is what it's supposed to do, now you just do it.
0: You have to elaborate because that does not make any sense.
1: Okay, good. Well, and I was trying to not get in trouble. Um, Basically if you have, for instance, enrollment processes, right, the students are coming into class, they're leaving class, they have to call, they have to do an email, they have to sign documents, right? There's always these procedures and processes that are attached to everything that happens in a university, and there's no way to, to uh, there's no way to to, to, to step around the bottom. So when you have to deal with people that can't get access to their email, that can't get access to a phone, that don't have power, and you don't want them to you know, not exist in the system anymore, or be considered corrupt, and there was a lot of different uh, pieces that were moving that had to be decided without input ahead of time and then delivered to people um that that's what i meant as far as that so
0: no that makes sense because i mean it's a it's a different situation depending on on you know obviously corporate would just come to a screeching halt um k through 12 you don't have the option you don't have the luxury you are still expected to deliver that education regardless but it's not as much of a big deal because higher education is more on the profit side, right? So they paid for this product, you're not delivering it, so what do you yeah. do?
1: Yeah, we're like Waffle House. We, <laughs> we don't close during a disaster.
0: Yeah.
1: No, and, and we actually, we didn't close uh, for a little while there, and then when we reopened, we had to make a decision about what do we do? Do we delay start? Do we shift to multiple semesters? And we ended up allowing the faculty members to opt in to a, a plan that would basically delay their start until the second half of the semester so that their students could just take a shortened term later if they wanted to or they could just have them start now and they would just have to uh, uh, adapt to something internally for the students they couldn't get a hold of. Um, and then we had we a, a, a shift in my thinking was about email and how email is a natural disaster, disaster. right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got we we were trying to send notifications out to people, and we wanted to make sure that the students were finding out about what was going on. And relying on email, it, they, they would have 100, 200, 300 emails when they got back to the to power, got to, to their power turned back on. So we had to make sure that things were sent into a course announcement, so that it was then also populated out into an email. And then learning a, I guess, a, a strategic way to structure communications around what. Kinds of device access people are going to have in different situations was, was a very valuable lesson that that paid forward. And then just thinking about the policies that needed to be looked at and the policies that we would need to, to at least tell people about helped with with um, with the COVID response too.
0: Yeah, talking about tech equity, um, you know. I, again, friends in K through 12 who taught title one schools, some of their students just dropped off the map because they didn't have the tech at home and the district wasn't equipped to make sure that they had, even if they had the ability to give them a Chromebook, you know, that doesn't guarantee internet access at that point. So if you're developing a a, um, emergency plan, you've got to be prepared to service those students who have those tech equity issues. And I don't think that a lot of people take that into consideration and the ones that do, I mean, one of the the cruel and heartless things that I heard was, well, you know, it's their fault. They should have bought a computer. Um, you know, for a first generation student who is trying to get their degree, um, supporting their parents, working, you know, you don't know. You you can't... To put that burden on those students yeah. was, was one of the things about the pandemic that really just pissed me off.
1: And, you know, normally my answer is they should just buy a laptop um, because we deal specifically with students that have agreed to sign up for the online experience. And to do that without the technology to me seems irresponsible. But... That's a whole different conversation, right, than the people that were forced into this.
0: Right. Um, and, I, and
1: I think it, in the South in particular, I think a lot of schools just said, then fine, just come to class.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, I get it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It is what it is. Um, I have technology everywhere, so I was able to have my son at home without needing to check out technology. But I see the emails from my son's school now uh, last week about turning in the technology. So they still have people even even to the end of the, the semester, that were um, re- remote students, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm happy that my district and my school uh, for my son was still willing to do that, even though I wasn't making use of it, I think that's great. Um, I don't know what the experience was in the second semester, if it got better, because I didn't I didn't choose to send him back, uh, or I, I, mean, I, I kept him in school, I didn't choose to do homeschool
0: I think that they did a better job during the second semester simply because, you know, the learning curve. Um, And they're just so adaptable. They have to be flexible. But I don't think that it was. um, I'm tired of hearing the term learning gap because now there's a learning gap. Is there? Is there really a learning gap? I mean, I'm sure there is. That I'm sure it's going to be studied, and I'm sure there's going to be an avalanche of papers about it. But I'm not sure that that learning gap wasn't there before the pandemic, and the pandemic just magnified it or amplified it.
1: And what do you mean by learning gap?
0: Uh, A lot of um, parents are complaining about the the lack of instruction time that the students got that you know there's there's now where they should be reading at this level they're uh, a year behind or where mathematically they should be at this level but they didn't learn this this and this oh, okay. and i'm like yeah. well um
1: yeah that's the parents fault
0: <laughs> oh that's a whole podcast in itself
1: <laughs> as, as a as a parent i'm gonna have to say that's that's uh that's your fault
0: yeah, we'll definitely have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. How you wanna?
1: Um, oh yeah, yeah. So the, the other thing I wanted to say about faculty flexibility and autonomy and all of that during the um, during Harvey and then the pandemic was about when you are using all of these prepackaged materials, right? When everything is canned, you 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 can't necessarily adapt it as easily as you can your own, you know, lecture material, your own test questions, the things that, that you have developed over time through your own rigorous pain. Um, it, whereas when you're dealing with, you know, publisher content, you're just like, okay, I guess, you know, week two and three are now together. Like, it, everything is so layered and so connected. And, like, back to the real analogy, you know, you're not going to pull just one of those spokes out when things go off off the rails and you need to repair your course or, or alter your course midstream because of... a. a, a Disaster or or personal you know injury or, or health issue where you need to switch uh, as a, as an instructor that's allowed to do that switch remotely midstream. Um, whereas if you've got oh you know I've I did these lectures I can pop in this lecture I can tell the students to fast forward twenty minutes into this lecture you know it so much better when you are the one that created it so the the but then also it's it's a personality right if you're an inflexible professor anyway then. It doesn't matter how flexible content is. and then that we kind of—I don't—I don't know. I want to heavily judge administration, but there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough guidance and enforcing of people's flexibility, right? So students were allowed to fail. That probably should have been told to take an incomplete. Yeah. Because of of different pieces of the puzzle that we're not allowed to say to students, right? Like. Yeah, you lost your house in Harvey, and you're taking care of your grandma in a van. I know you said you're going to be ready to take this class in the second half of the semester, but really, are you really? And I don't, I don't know, I don't know exactly how all those questions were answered. Because obviously, I'm not in the academic advising team or any of that. I'm assuming they gave the students the best advice they could have at the time. But there's always that fear that it was too heavily focused on
0: what the university
1: needed to survive. Mm-hmm.
0: Versus what the student needed.
1: Yeah, and that's why I'm always told to shut up. Um,
0: <laughs> and that's why we make such good company.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, on disposabledesignpodcast.com, you can find blogs that, that we are writing about our journeys through education industry and as instructional designers. And you'll also be able to uh, watch and or listen to our shows.
0: We'll also post videos on instructional design, as well as software tutorials on the newest hottest ed tech and learning management systems. You can also hit us up on Twitter, if you're so inclined and have any questions about instructional design. Thanks so much for watching.